What's up, world? Welcome to the Dig on Doug podcast. I'm your host, Doug, and I'm going to be bringing you episodes all about having fun, real, and deep conversations. So I hope you enjoy, and let's get digging. What's up, diggers, and welcome to another episode of the Dig on Doug podcast. Um, this episode will start off a series of episodes um, titled Black in America. These episodes will be uh, from friends and family of mine um, who identify as black and live in America, which comes with a whole lot of everything, pain, humor, unrest, uneasiness, and overall a question of why and how. So as these episodes continue to be produced, um, really listen and, you know, take it in. Um, It's a story coming from the hearts, from my friends, from my family, um, and from other people um, who feel and understand what this country of America is and how it is a weight constantly on us. And so I hope you enjoy. I hope you learn. Uh, For those of you who know this pain all too well, I hope it helps in some way, shape and form. So let's get into this episode. Black in America. Being in America, okay, good to know. (laughs) So uh, you had brought up, you know, the experience of being in America currently right now with everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, we have this pandemic, shelter in place is still going on. Some places are opening up. I think it's still a little too early. And uh, there's all sorts of other news that's still going on, too. And you would think with everything that's going on, things kind of opening up and getting, quote unquote, back to normal. um, You would think that maybe people might have taken some time if they had to shelter in place for a good long while and reflect on what it means to be human, not just be an American not just be in America, not just be present in this country, but just be a human being. Um, honestly, so far with 2020, it's it's dealt us all a very big blow. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to fight something we absolutely cannot see. And it's a sickness. It's a virus. It's a disease. We don't know who has it. We don't know if we've had it or if we got it and maybe already passed through it and maybe we could return to society and be all good now that we have this inoculation and we're all good. But uh, from from how it's been, as far as the response, it hasn't been handled, in my opinion, all that well. I I was wondering if you were talking about COVID or racism. Oh, (laughs) The fact that I can be talking about just the topic in general and you can't 
really you don't really know if it's related to either option or either very, topic is a very scary thing it is a very scary thing but um yeah when it comes to right now the topic of covid it's dealt all of us a very big blow when it comes to the topic of race you would again think that people would have taken time to sit at home, reflect on what this means for us as a species, as human beings on this planet. And you would think that maybe once we return to normalcy, that perhaps you would not get into the same things that people got into before, AKA being in live public view of everyone and I don't know, putting your knee on someone's neck in an arrest. Mm -hmm or being in a park that clearly has signs labeled, do not unleash your dog. And then when you got called out on it, you end up calling the police on somebody saying that they threatened you. And the screaming and everything. And the screaming and everything. And then you want to talk about America. Here we are, 2020. Again, like I said, we've been dealt a very big blow by an invisible force we cannot know and we don't understand quite yet and we're in an election year and then you have the democratic candidate get on to and predominantly listened to by minorities or african-american uh population. group population and essentially say something that people of color have heard for generations and that is, and this is my take on what had happened. That is the white man saying that you're not black unless you do this for me, unless you do that. Go ahead and jump and jive and do the dance for me. Vote for me, because if you vote for the other guy, you're, you're not really what you think you are. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Opposite End of the Spectrum, for telling me who I am. This is what we got in America right now. This is what we're dealt with. And when you say, like, how is it that we could mentally be prepared or uh, survive anything like this? We're human beings. We've survived things like this for generations. Um, when it comes to people of color, we've survived the mental deterioration and breakdown from people who are not us, who don't understand us, don't understand our culture, and absolutely have no idea um how to follow their own rules and protocols and say that we have to fall in line but they don't it's not a good look if that is america that's not a good look so unfortunately when it comes to being a person of color you got the short end of the stick however i would have to say that you were built to be the strongest species of human being alive to take that kind of abuse and smile every day and going to work every day taking that kind of abuse going uh walking down the street every day taking that kind of abuse doing anything even inside your own home and taking that kind of abuse because let's let's face it you take that kind of abuse even when you're at home you can be by yourself you still take that kind of abuse so honestly, yeah, this is what it means to be a POC in America, person of color. You don't know. And it's not a good look. Can it be saved? Yeah, it's going to, it can. 
how does that happen? It's going to it's going to have to require massive amounts of conversation. And that's something the other side, whoever they are, I don't know who they are, doesn't want. So, yeah, let's just start with that, I guess, for an opener. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I was already thinking of and I'll edit this part out of just recording an opener and then introducing you and stuff um, <laughs> and then just having this roll in. I mean, that's, I could not say it any better. And so um, with all of that, what has been your experience as a black man, Latin man in America? Yeah. Yeah. So my background is I'm, a, I'm, you know, multicultural, like I'm black and I'm Mexican and I'm very proud of it. I was born in Los Angeles and um, my experience is, is this, like uh, in today with current news, we're dealing with uh, the news in Minneapolis and what happened. And to me, like I saw that and one, it was definitely horrendous. Uh, you see the video and you absolutely know, like, by the time uh, the ambulance had arrived and we're bringing this man on the gurney, he, he couldn't move. And you saw the, the extended amount of length of time that that officer was placing his weight, essentially bouncing up and down, saying, hey, get up, get in the car, like kind of mocking him. It's disturbing. It's brutal. It's not at all police tactics. It's not at all protect and serve. It's not at all how I would imagine America would handle uh, taking in uh, someone that they would sus suspect as being a criminal uh, and then have that criminal not see their day in court. Because I thought we had a court system. We have a process already in place to handle criminal offenses. Yet we also have people, and I'm going to say people, because that's what they are, who are authoritative figures who are there to protect and serve citizens, and in doing so, end up harming those citizens, taking matters in their own hands and placing their own judgment. That's not how it works. It's not how it's supposed to work. Again, there's a system in place, and if that system is being found to have so many cracks and uh, broken fractures in it like that, then everyone's not going to play by the rules. It's just how it's going to go. What's the point of having them if you're not going to follow them? Mm -hmm. And that's a big discrepancy that people of color see every day. Every day. You can't, you can't have it be a society for some and then claim it's a society for all. Because then if it's not that way, you better lay out the rules real clear. Because if they're not that clear, people are just going to take matters in their own hands. And it's sad to say, like it happens every day, police are taking some sort of matter in their own hands. Um, and then when you get to the writing part of things, you get everyday citizens who are doing and taking things in their own hands in whatever way they do. And it's, it's uh, a situation that I've seen again and again and again 
and my first instance of seeing it, getting back to my upbringing, my childhood, was when I was in L.A. during Rodney King. Mm -hmm. I was young. I was like six or seven. Here I am like 30 years later seeing it over and over and over again. And it's infuriating. It's frustrating. It's mentally exhausting. And to see people uh, get some sort of reprimand where maybe they just get fired from their job like these officers did. It's sure. Yes, they got fired. But if that were you, if that were me, if that were anyone else, they'd be behind bars. Well, anyone else with pigment in their skin, and mainly the dark kind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, yeah, it's, and my experience has been, like, I've seen this time and time again, like, and it's never easy. It's never good. It never mentally feels great. Emotionally, it's never great. Like, it brings people down. And, you know, <laughs> I often, I often think about other experiences that I personally have had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even in those instances, like, I, I can be glad that I am alive. Yeah. Uh, in other instances, also, um, I've seen privilege firsthand. Mm-hmm. And I can say it is ugly and it is a stupid uh, mentality to have if you're on the opposite spectrum because you obviously are hiding something so fiercely emotionally scarring for yourself that you're letting it leak into other people who don't deserve it and are innocent of it. And that's just sick. There's a certain section in American society that need mental help. And they're the same people that are getting put into places of power, then claiming that mental services aren't needed. And it's sick. It's deeply disturbing. And it isn't healthy for America. When you, when you say you, you've touched on America and, and, and all of this, what what is your vision of America? Like you say, like it's not good for America, this and that, because I'm born and raised here in America. I'm from the Bay Area, from California and all this stuff. And knowing what this country is, and this is, I, I believe, a lot of the, the live POC, but really like black and brown lived experience of this country is, you live in this country, but you know this country isn't for you at the same time. And so, so what is your vision um, of America? You live in this country, but you know this country isn't for you the same, for the same time. But at the same time, you were brought to this country and you weren't given any kind of option as to really to leave or have anyone pay for your way out. Or even for the fact that they had made promises to you you notice time and time again throughout history that they keep their promises to other people but you're still the one that they keep down and they keep saying to you hey mr person of color why can't you bring yourself up well gee i don't know 
why can't you get your foot up off my neck and maybe I could? Mm -hmm. How about that? I would easily get up on my feet if maybe I didn't have someone kneeling on my neck. Yeah. What do you want me here for? What is it that you are keeping me here for? Obviously, the, the criminal justice system is a big cash cow moneymaker. Who are they putting in there? Mm -hmm. You still want to keep your slaves. You never want to let them go. And you don't want to keep the promises that you made to them all those years ago. And so you wonder, when you get called out for things like this time and time again, why won't they shut up about it? Why won't they let it go? It was in the past. I don't, I don't feel like feeling guilty about this. Well, no, you're going to feel guilty about it, whether it be now, whether it be later, and it's going to hit hard if it's way later. It's just a sad fact of things. When it comes to America, my vision for it is exactly how it should be, how Martin Luther King saw it. It is indeed a melting pot of many cultural ideas, many identities, many people. And those ideas can help flourish and help bring us into a new prosperity and to a new um, society that honestly could travel the stars for all we know. But we have a certain section of folks who are holding that back. Why? Just to make some money? Money doesn't get kept with you forever. My life isn't your money. My life is my life. Your life is your life. I'm not put here on this earth to be part of your prison industrial complex to make money for your hands and then to have your enforcers continuously go out and pick and farm whoever they want and kill others they don't, they don't mm -hmm. need. And so you say um, you touched on like Malcolm, I mean not Malcolm, but uh, Martin Luther King and his his dream um, for America. Um, but I always go with this this notion of yeah, that was his dream, but what's the reality? And I mean, we see what the reality is with with policies, with prison, with with education, with housing, with all of that stuff, and. As much as I'm an optimistic person, I mean, there's there's pools where it's just like it's it's too much, and and you see the legacies of capitalism, which this country is built off of, um, just continue to thrive. And so, um, yes, we we hope for the melting pot and everything, but it's also realizing what is also there at the same time and what has what has been there um and so just your just your thoughts on that the the, the dream versus the reality so yeah like my dream or i mean the dream portion of things and when you ask the question yeah it's definitely different from the stark difference of reality uh and i touched on the reality the prison industrial complex the uh the amounts of the fact that my life is more numbers and money for someone else rather than it actually being my life. Uh, and I'm expected as a person of color to go ahead and have to fear society and its rules um, and the people who govern it. 
uh, yet meanwhile, there's a particular subsection of society who are very much in many positions of power and very much feel as if they have uh, an entitled right to my everyday life. Mm-hmm. Whether that be uh, pushing whatever messages they want in order for me to go ahead and buy the products that they want me to buy. You know, one of the one of the major products that gets all the time um, marketed and targeted in places of color, uh, in in communities of color, have been menthol cigarettes for generations. And it's like, you know, why like that? I mean, obviously, it's a big cash crop. It's something that they could easily sell and produce on the cheap and then sell to whoever else they want to sell to. But it's also killing people. So it's just like, you know, the moral responsibility of us as human beings, uh, we have the option to not take that cigarette, for example, as a person of color. Yet, you know, that has somehow been marketed to us and now has become part of our cultural identity. And it wasn't something that we necessarily had created and cultivated for ourselves. It was something that someone else decided to go ahead and subliminally input into our culture mm-hmm. in order to go ahead and keep us in our place in yet another way. You know, uh, our history isn't completely devoid of the fact that we have had successful societies, uh, successful places of color, where people would actually have minority-run businesses that were successful yeah black wall street black wall street i mean it's just like you know if there was a time where things were separate but equal and you see one side has more than the other and you go ahead and destroy it things are not separate but equal things are never as they seem is the reality Mm -hmm. because again there's one certain subsection of society that's saying that this is not for you, yet you live here. Yeah. And we tell everyone that they have the hopes and dreams and aspirations to do whatever they want. The American dream. But no one ever sees that guy sneaking up behind them to go ahead and put him in the chokehold and you screaming, I can't breathe, huh? Yeah, the reality is it's dark, it's dank, it sucks, yet we can still survive and thrive and live on. It's 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 definitely a wild journey. And so you you've had a very um, unique perspective um, on this road in your life and everything. You you started in L.A. Um, spent time in Texas and then spent a huge time in Wisconsin of all places. Um, just go ahead and share a little bit of that journey, um, whatever sticks out to you um, in in this country. And again, uh, being being a black man in this country and in those two two areas of the country that are pretty wild at times. Yeah. So uh, yeah, after LA, like. Um... I was in Iowa City for a couple years, and then Corpus Christi, Texas, and then uh, for in Wisconsin for like 18 years. And so uh, my kind of experience has been like, you know, I was a kid when I was in Iowa and in Texas. 
um, specifically in Iowa, like it was just for a couple years and it was, it was a wonderful experience. It was my first time seeing snow. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was, it was, it was just like cool to see a winter where you had snow on the ground and stuff yeah. like that. But as a kid, like I was still in kind of multicultural classrooms, you know, so it's just like, you know, I'm going to a public school, elementary school and everyone still kind of got along and everything like that. So it was still nice. And then Texas, I was living more near the Gulf in Corpus Christi. Okay. Even Corpus Christi has been in the news recently, where recently they had a shooting at one of the naval bases. Mm-hmm. And I had been on that naval base before. I was in a um, program known as the Young Marines. Oh, wow. And um, you know, back then, like, it was a program that was kind of like, you know, uh, advanced Boy Scouts, except it wasn't even just for boys. Like, boys mm-hmm. and girls were in it. And so, like, you were pretty much brought into this, uh, into the base, and then, like, it was like you had military training. Like, you would be a platoon, and, like, you would line up and do drills and mm-hmm. PT, and, like, it was it was an interesting time and experience, but there was all sorts of kids there, too. Like, some of them ranged from, you know, troubled youth kids to just kids whose parents, you know, wanted them to do something for the summer and be active and whatnot. And so, like, it was it was just kind of like a camp to go ahead and uh, bring these kids together and teach them discipline and respect and stuff like that. And so, like, my experience in Corpus Christi was still, like, near the Gulf, and it was, like, very positive. Like, there was a multitude of different cultural backgrounds and kids and stuff. And, you know, for the most part, I would still think that a lot of people got along, you know. Um, and then when I moved to Wisconsin, let me go ahead and say, first and foremost... I did not want to leave Corpus Christi at that time. Um, one was because I was turning, well, I, yeah, was I 14? I was 14 at the time. So you're a freshman in high school and you're starting your high school year out in Texas. And like, you're 14 years old, you're starting high school and that's the time where you're really getting started. Like you're really getting interested in, oh no, girls. And there were some very beautiful girls in Texas. And I wanted to stay there. <laughs> I was just like, no, Texas is where I need to be. Oh, like, it was amazing. But I was just like, you know what? Like, I guess I can't have the Texas beach life. We're going to be moving to Wisconsin. So my mom was like, yeah, no, that's where we're going. I didn't want to go, but yeah. we ended up going. And the high school was different. First and foremost, um, like, just kind of going there, there's still, like, multicultural like groups of kids everywhere but they were cliques and that was my real first experience with cliques was when i was in high school you didn't really have that in uh middle school junior high and stuff like that because the kids we didn't care we liked hanging out with each other wherever we were but like in this school it was different there was just cliques so you know i'm trying to kind of find my place i'm getting to know a whole bunch of people still like everyone's nice cordial and everything like that and like, still you make friends, but still it's very clicky. You're not always with that same group of people until you find, like, your actual group. But um, the month that I moved there and I started high school, that same month was the first round of parent-teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, you know, this is my first two weeks at a new high school. I haven't gotten any trouble in these two weeks. I'm not going to get in any kind of trouble. I was actually a good kid. I did my homework and made sure I turned my assignments in on time, 
I always shot for the A, but I was probably like a good B student, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was like, all right, two weeks. There's nothing my my teachers could absolutely say that would get me in trouble or grounded or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like you know, we go to these parent-teacher conferences. I'm with my mom. My mom's Mexican. She's definitely very beautiful, light-skinned Mexican lady. Has been all her life. Has been all my life. So it's just like, you know, know, we kind of, we definitely look very similar in a lot of ways. And in other ways, we don't. Because I look a little, I have a lot more features than my dad. I just have a little bit lighter skin. But um, we're going through we're having these conversations with some of my teachers and one of my teachers, like it was my, my keyboard teacher, computer keyboard teacher. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, Ronnie's doing really well in class. And then he says, I remember Ronnie here last year and how much of a troublemaker he kind of was in my class. And my mom was like, excuse me. She's taken aback, and I'm standing right next to her. Obviously yeah. I'm hearing this and I'm like, um, what are you talking about excuse me mr teacher um i've only been here for two weeks and he's like oh no 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 like it's definitely been you and my mom was like um we just moved here so there's no possible way that my son was in your class creating any kind of trouble you know at that particular point my mom began a little bit defensive because obviously this guy is not a person of color and he's already confused me for some other kid that was a troublemaker. Yeah. And so, you know, that's obviously not a good look. And she had never experienced that in any of my other schools from what I can remember. Mm-hmm. But um, as that night continues, that wasn't our first instance. Oh, and this no. is just one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, to school. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was another teacher who was a psychology t- teacher um who was just like really taken aback at the fact that my mom was my biological mother yeah uh she asked if i was really her son and then she asked really like she didn't believe her and my mom was just like yes and you know at that point i'm pretty sure my mom was just ready to go ahead and take me out of that school yeah but i was just like see this is why i said we shouldn't have <laughs> moved <laughs> But, you know, that's that's was a, an eye opening experience. And my experience from then on with the, some of those same teachers was mm-hmm. a lot more positive because we had gone to uh, the assistant principal and the principal and the board. Uh, my mom was really not happy about it and cleared everything up. Um, and so, like, they apologized and everything went on fine for the rest of the time until I graduated. Um But that's crazy that you had to take it all the way to that level. Yeah, exactly. It is crazy that one, I had to take it all the way to that level, and two, that I don't, I, I guess just that identity problem of you know we all look alike to them, Mm -hmm. it was that rampant and bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess you know what there was also another teacher who um, it was a Spanish teacher who couldn't understand my Spanish, and I speak pretty decent Spanish, Uh, but she she felt that I couldn't read Spanish or that I couldn't read at all. So she had me take a reading test without my mom knowing. Wow. And so then I brought that to my mom and my mom 
brought all sorts of hell again to the school. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, yeah, and like it, it was kind of a foobar school. It was it was interesting. If if to say nothing else, it was it was if, interesting. Yeah, if to say nothing else, it was interesting. And you know, the way that uh, a lot of my other uh, friends and stuff were looked at was always with a careful eye from some teachers, but the principals, the principals were very much in the know as to who the kids were that were actively causing trouble and who the mm-hmm. kids were that weren't. And so the principals were the ones who seemed to know the students a lot more than most of the teachers in a lot of ways. But yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. So how do you feel that impacted you? I feel like it gave me a very unique perspective uh, one that I continuously studied throughout my years in Wisconsin and gave me a whole bunch of theories, which I then tested and absolutely, uh, with major success, have found to be um, ways in talking and dealing with people uh, who have other perspectives and negative ones towards people of color. Well, you know, we got to dive in there with, with, your, with, your, with your degree, which uh, go ahead and... <laughs> Share with them what your degree is for your studies and everything. No, a double doctorate in irrelevant white folk fears is pretty much what it is, and that's exactly what it is. Is it's all irrelevant fears. Um, I cannot tell you how many countless times I could just be walking around the streets of Wisconsin, and uh, you know, you would just be walking down, let's say, one street, and there's like an entrance and exit way into the grocery store or something cars go through there all the time so you could just be walking right through that little intersection and you, you someone would be parked right there and realize that their doors are unlocked and they'll lock them as soon as you start walking by because they don't want you to know possibly steal their car yeah. and you can tell that that's exactly what their intent was they could have locked their door the moment they took off mm-hmm. or they were leaving their parking spot it wasn't like a situation where they had just forgotten to lock their doors really because they're mostly used to, and I've, I've, I've seen this so many times, There's, they're so used to just getting in their car, they don't lock them, and then they drive. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people that do that in Wisconsin. Okay. So when you notice that they lock their doors, you know, yeah, it was because you walked by. Mm-hmm. And you're a person of color, so they didn't want you to take their car. And it's like, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that type of person. I'm just walking. And that's, that's another thing uh, about society, isn't it? You could just be walking. You could just be at home. You could just be bird watching. Uh, you could just be barbecuing. But it's not, it's not right. And so in, in your time in Wisconsin, as, as you spent a good amount of your life there, uh, what was your contact with other people of color um, who understood your walk? Uh, you know, my contact was always very positive because we all knew that we were always looked at differently. And, you know, uh, for example, when I was a teenager and we would go to the malls, like mm-hmm. me and my big group of friends, and we were actually a mixed group. We had all sorts of white people with us. We had all sorts of white kids with us, but we had like Asian kids. We had Mexican kids because we liked to go to the mall and that's just where yeah. we go. But of course they would never look at, the the asian kids or the white kids as hardcore as they were looking at the black or the mexican kids who were going around the stores Mm -hmm. we would always get targeted the most and it was it was crazy because we could even be with them and we would get stopped Mm 
and uh, a lot of times it'd be like they would come to our to our aid too. Like these were good friends, and they'd just be like, "No, you know, we're just walking. They were with us this whole time. You know, we're not creating trouble or anything like that." And then we'd just be let go. But uh, you know, it's it's a thing where also it's just like you know, there's there's just that prejudice, and it exists everywhere. It exists. Mm-hmm all over the place and in wisconsin it's it's definitely there like people just don't understand um i've been in situations where i've been at company parties and there's been like uh business owners who won't even talk to you because Mm -hmm. they're afraid of you um wow i've been to uh big group social gatherings with uh phd professors with lawyers with all sorts of other, you know, high-end people and, um, you know, they'll talk to you and greet you. But other than that, they're not really making a willing effort to want to get to know you mm-hmm. or to know much about you or anything like that. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. And it's like you, you have those instances, but then you have those other instances too, where you're the life of the party mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know what? I've been in so many situations where it's like, Okay, I I dated this one girl from a small town south of where I was living. And uh, I went to her place for one weekend, and her best friend was having a barbecue. Like, the whole neighborhood was having, like, a block party. Obviously, I'm, like, the one person of color there. They're having a pig roast. Having and I was, a token. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I was essentially treated exactly as such. Um, but, you know they were very nice like a lot of people were very cordial and everything like that and then um you know you you hear a lot of the normal things that you normally hear like oh can i touch your hair or uh you look like uh will smith or, <laughs> or oh, and it's like um thank you you know thank you and then uh when you go ahead and mention something like oh you know the food is actually good oh they're so like they light up Oh, they man. they got validation. Oh. Right, uh, the food's good, y'all. Hey. Uh. <laughs> oh man, I, I I can't. So along the lines of that, what are some of the other things? Um, because you 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 put this into practice. What are some of the, the things you have directly heard from just white folks that like you're just like those like you said those irrational thoughts are the bigotry or the, the racism, what are some of the things that like, were just like, just blatant? Oh man. All right. So here's one story that was absolutely blatant. I got plenty of them, but this one in particular, it's the first time I met this gentleman and he and I are friends still to this day. And he's actually married to a really good high school friend of mine um, that I had introduced him to actually a big group of us had like all gotten together and I had introduced him to her and, they're married even now and have kids. But when he and I first met, our interaction was like this. So obviously a white dude. I walk into this party. And he's like, holy shit, what is up, my nigga? Wow. Now, never met the guy before. Never met the guy before. That's the first thing he says. Runs up to me. And he's like, yo, don't hurt me, bro. Like, don't take my money from my wallet ha 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 and i'm like hey that's really funny guy ha 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 and so this was like um actually a very breakthrough situation 
because he happened to be uh, a Christian, as he had early identified within our first like five minutes of our conversation. And so I was like, you're a Christian. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, answer me this. <laughs> Are you the Riddler? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I put it in, I, I was, we were in a weird headspace because there was obviously some drinks going on. But I was just like this. Well, we don't like, know. I mean, could have been sober, a sober party. I mean, no, but no, we know now. No, 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 no. There's definitely some. It's Wisconsin. There. It was probably winter it time, is, so it, it was cold. It's so Wisconsin. That's what they do on the regular. Like that's, yeah. Anyway, so um, he's just like um, we're talking. He he mentioned that, and I was like, hey, let me ask you a question. And I was just out of my mind, but it, it was. This is the first time I just decided to try this out with this guy who decided to call me the N-word. So I was like, let me just go for it. I was like, let's take this, for example. If you were to take your girlfriend and try to have her mate with a horse, would it work? Would she have a baby? And he was like, no. I was like, how do you know this? Like, you don't know science, do you? And he's like, well, I mean, like, I know enough science. I was like, okay. He was like, no, that wouldn't work because obviously it's uh, we're not compatible species and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, you know that much. All right, cool. I was like, could I get your girlfriend pregnant? And he was just like, yes. And I was like, good. You know why you know that? Because we're both human beings. There's nothing different with us between our DNA. Mm. If that were if that were absolutely not allowed, if I couldn't get your girlfriend pregnant whatsoever, and I was just a, if no black man could get any other person, I don't care what color they, if they couldn't do that, I would probably see an argument for maybe thinking that we weren't the same species, but we're definitely the same. Mm-hmm. With that, he kind of like it just blew his mind, and from then on, we just got into other stupid conversations and became best friends. Mm-hmm. but it, i mean it, it was it was a stupid like conversation and I, like i was kind of trying to insult him but at the same time yeah. like i got to a valid point we both understood under the circumstances and it was stupid it was really stupid but i connected with him on that stupid of a level mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and the fact that even just something as stupid of a little conversation like that could convince someone so profoundly that no i'm not a threat to him i'm another human being just like everyone else at that party i could get drunk i could uh i could dance i could sing i could bleed i could whatever i'm another person i don't want harm to me he doesn't want harm to him we both want to work we both want to have a roof over our head clothes over our backs so what's the problem what is the issue what makes us so dangerous and I asked other people, not him. I've asked plenty of other people. Did you guys ever re-bring up that conversation? Was there another? Yeah, there was There was more conversation after that with just how it went down. He apologized you... for how he initially um, uh, introduced himself. Introduced himself. And mm-hmm. he was like, I'm not that kind of person. And I've, I got to know him. I've got to know his family, his grandmother, mm-hmm. who's the sweetest lady ever. And like... Um, like, I mean, it, it's it's been a wonderful friendship, even over these years. 
was he able to identify where that came from? Like that's that's what I'm trying uh, to like. It's it's pure ignorance. It's mm-hmm. purely the fact that he's been in his own bubble for as long as he has been, not used to anything else, not used to anyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, here's another example. We had some at at some time um, when I was in college. I was um, still living at my mom's place, and we had uh, an extra room, and we had some family friends stay with us. They were coming from South Carolina. Um, and they're moving to Wisconsin to start a new life. They're a newly uh, married couple. Uh, so they live with us for a good amount of months. And then they moved to a small town north of us. And it was interesting the time that they put in their first pizza order when they moved in. Mm-hmm. Because everyone knew that they were the, the people of color that had just moved into this small town. Everyone had already known. And they had just moved in that day. I mean, it's it, it's it's incredibly crazy how fast the news spreads. Yeah. Uh, in small towns like that, because they're not used to people or seeing people of color uh, possibly buy a house just down the street from them. Mm-hmm. Still in Wisconsin. Yeah. It, it's changed dramatically over the years. I mean, it definitely has changed dramatically over the years. Definitely a lot more people who had come from Chicago, Milwaukee, and all these other uh, areas. Um, it's definitely changed over here, but at that time it was big news, and this was still like early two thousands. So it's just you know it just goes to show that there's still places out there that are still very much behind on the times, and that's unfortunately one of those states. And um, you know if you're a person of color, you kind of got to watch out because. No, no, it's wild. So I, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to, pull, I wanted to pull up just the, the racial demographics of Wisconsin, and so, yeah, yeah. Um, going off of the twenty twenty population, Wisconsin is eighty five point fifty nine percent white. Uh, black or African American is six point three eight, and then next is Asian at two point seven six percent. And so it just goes to show you how much lack of diversity is actually in that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and this goes back to the notion that's out there, and I, I wholeheartedly believe in this. And honestly, I, if you don't believe in this, and not saying you, just anybody listening, you don't believe in this, and you really need to wake yourself up. But there's two Americas, and maybe even multiple. Like we talked about, like, where... People are fascinated by Marvel or DC and these multiverses. America is actually a multiverse, if you really look at it. It's very true. With the, the have, the have-nots, and then you just go through all the different sectors. It's it's a multiverse. And those haves want to keep... Because it goes... The, the, the first two universes are the haves and the have-nots. Like, it's, it goes from starts there, or it, it goes white, or and then minorities. And then you subset off into there with the different universes, um, just going with the, the comic book reference. And it's mm-hmm. it's wild. Well, here, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the demographics, because let me tell you about three different areas in that Midwest area. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin is a very liberal area. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the UW Madison is. So there's definitely like students from all over the world that go there, and it's very, it, it's very, very liberal. So and everything else outside of that is very rural, 
old time, like old school training of thought and feel and everything to it. And it's got a very beautiful charm to it. It's amazing. Like I, it, it's a very beautiful area. Wisconsin's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Milwaukee. And yes, Milwaukee is a big city. But it's a big city that is segregated. There is a legit split where you know that you've gone from what would be the predominantly white neighborhoods to the predominantly black neighborhoods. And I've known this because I've known so many people that have come from those areas and they know the divide. They know the segregation, the segregated areas. And it's been like that for years. And then let me tell you about the other spot. Chicago. Chicago is about two hours away from Madison about an hour and a half maybe two hours away from milwaukee as well mm-hmm. uh and then you know chicago is very much a metropolitan very large city mixed diverse people everywhere chicago yeah but even areas of chicago have some segregation mm-hmm. and then where we are you're way on the west coast and it's you know, from what I've, what I've seen, this is so much different from every other place out there. Because mm-hmm. I've seen gentrified neighborhoods. Like, I've seen mixed couples everywhere. I've seen everything. Like, it's definitely kind of more of the melting pot hodgepodge. So, yeah. I mean, like, it, when it comes to the Midwest, like, they are very much still living in past times doing past things and situations and very much that mentality is still there the old mentality is still there and that's why you also have the um that's why you also have the the large amounts of uh minorities who get locked up in that state Mm -hmm. uh the, the the prisons in wisconsin are large you can see them when you drive on the highways there's certain highways you can drive through and you just You'll see this prison and it's just, it's like double the size of a Costco. Wow. So it's just like, you know, how many people of color did they throw in there? Yeah, it's insane. Like, it's really an interesting area. Yeah. And so when you say old time thinking, um, are you saying racism, bigotry, fear of minorities, um, just to make that clear, that's that's what you're saying. I, I mean, yeah, like it still exists. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like I've been in situations where I've been around people, and they just some have blatantly not wanted to conversate with me because of that fear mm-hmm. that I want something more from them, or I'm trying to hustle them, or I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to steal their wallet, or I'm just scary person to them. I just look scary. Yeah, and so getting to why in this kind of um uh hot temperature time why i'm wearing this hoodie (laughs) is because again there's a story to even this hoodie if i were in wisconsin and i wore this hoodie i would definitely get the side eye but can you read what this says old navy it says old navy People would think I was some sort of gang-affiliated dude wearing this hoodie because they couldn't read it. But then if you really read it, it says Old Navy. I bought this at an Old Navy. (laughs) That is one of the most 
saltine stores ever. <laughs> saltine. Oh, that is hilarious. So but, I have a, I have a question. Let me, let me just tell you, if this were on someone else that was not a well, person yeah. of color, they wouldn't even care twice about it. Yeah, if it's Justin Bieber, <laughs> you're fine. Um, so I do have a question. So you said the old time thinking. Is mm-hmm. that really old time thinking? Uh, you know what? Like, I mean, it's been around for so many generations. So yes, it's old time thinking, but it's also present day thinking. It's well, present yes, day America. Because mm-hmm. that, that's what here, I say. It's still very live. It's still very much, um, you know, not looking to go ahead and get fixed. It's old time America still reeling its head in 2020. And 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 that's what I I always try to say when I when I talk to people about this or have these conversations is it's been passed down and so it's not old time thinking. It's just updated thinking. And you said like yes, in California here we're a melting pot and so many people don't think racism and all that stuff is here. It's here. It just operates different. And you know, okay, well, you know, and this is going to be bad for me to say, yes, it is here. And guess what? So are lynchings and they're televised. Mm -hmm. They're televised. Ladies and gentlemen, they are televised. The lynchings are televised. And you can't tell me that that wasn't what that was because it was, if you're on someone's neck, for example, for, Let's say, okay, so the the least amount of time I've heard is five minutes, but I'm hearing anywhere from five to nine minutes. You shouldn't even be on that man's neck for 30 seconds, not even five seconds. Yeah, and he's handcuffed. And he's handcuffed. And he's unarmed. That's a lynching. It's called what it is. I mean, there's still nooses being propped up every now and then. I mean, just, just recently this year, somebody made a noose in in like some warehouse or something like and it's like and the thing is you know what that symbolizes like i don't care what you like a a lynching noose is not a prop Mm -mm. it's not it's not a it's not a gif it's not a emoji it's not it's not none of that stuff and Mm -hmm. so you know and so that's those multi-dimensionals because people who do that stuff know the trauma that they're gonna bring to somebody like the lady in new york which is central park calling the police and this dawned on me a couple years ago um just understanding and all the stuff with the calling the police and everything and i and i made this reference to somebody i was talking to when white folks call the police that's them basically calling their homies because if we were in trouble like if i was in trouble right now ronnie i would call you i'd be like hey ronnie gotta come help me out like we gotta go do something but when they are threatened are called it's my homies are the police so they're gonna come because i know what they'll do to you you know i i would like to disagree with you but obviously that lady knew what she was doing when she was using keywords saying that he was an african-american and he was yeah. threatening my life and she and started screaming probably had some sort of voice that sounded like she was a white lady in distress like yes obviously she was calling her homies obviously she knew what she was doing and obviously, she didn't like being called out on the fact that her dog was not on a leash. Yeah. And I mean, she started screaming on the phone like she was being attacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, 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 literally, come on. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's crazy because we've had instances where people of color call the police and then the, the police come and attack them. And they're the ones who call. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's so, it's so, so it's like. White people calling the police is you calling your homies. It's basically you calling your family. 
mm-hmm. like to come because they blew. Like it, it don't even matter. Like they blew, they come to help you. But it's like we we can call them, and it's like that's why we get sometimes. It's like oh, like should I really call the police? Because it's the the famous um, Chappelle skit when he when he talks about like the cops coming to his house and it's like like this mm-hmm. this this nigga broke into the house and like hung up pictures of himself. It's like, like, come on to have that mentality is, is crazy. Yeah. And so like just in this dynamic and I was, I was wondering how to go about this because feeling so much being a, a black man and me being a six foot four black man who's big in this country is a dangerous thing. I mean, it, it is just me just stepping out. I've, I've been places and, seeing people clutch their purses or walk across the street or just weary. Like I used to, when I used to ride BART a lot, nobody ever sat by me. Like nobody would literally like, like come and just like, like sit by me. Like, and not saying like I wanted somebody to come sit by me because I'm, I'm a big guy. I need my space, but it's just the notion of like, Oh, like don't, don't, don't go do that. Or, or I've had friends and especially like black women, people tell them that they look mean all the time. And it's like, it's like, what the hell is this? And it's like, just this, this mentality. And so I, I'm trying to figure out and still work with this and approach this. And I wanted to reach out to friends and family members and stuff who are close to me to also share their story of being black, being minorities in this country, because we got to keep telling it and, and hopefully that other universe sees it and understands it. But I, because I, the thing is, we keep seeing these videos, we keep seeing the pictures, we see all this stuff. How much more evidence do you need? And I don't even mean just evidence in the sense of like convicting people because that should happen. But it's like, how much more evidence do you need in this country to understand that we're all humans? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I'm never surprised by it. So it's like, I can't say like, oh, like, well wishing and I'm hoping for Superman to swoop his ass in here and try to save the day or something. But it's like, it's, it's, it's not. And it's like, like you said, you touched on the, the criminal justice system, which isn't just, is justice for a select few. The fact that this country locks up people more than all the other countries basically combined, it's like, come on. And so... I, I thank you. I, I Like I said, I wanted to because you have a very unique trick in this country. Like you go from L.A. and like, I mean, the, the, the real parts of L.A. and then you go to Iowa and then you go to Texas and then you go to Wisconsin in the middle of everything where it's literally snow 12 months out the year, basically, literally, <laughs> um, and share that experience because our stories have to be told and to use my platform, I, 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 I really wrestled with this in the sense of like, how do I approach all of this stuff and get this message out here? Because it's, it's so vital in everything that that's going on. It's, it's me, it's, it's you, um, it's, it's all of us and everything. And so, um, what advice on getting ready to close and everything, what advice would you give people in general are just any thoughts or anything just that you want to get out here last because i don't i don't even know where to really lead it to but any just last thoughts or ideas or feelings 
How much more time do we have? <laughs> just, just go. Let me go ahead and say a, a few more things about this Minneapolis incident. George Floyd was from Houston, Texas, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a fiance, and actually the local news did already interview her out in Minneapolis, and she was a white woman. Mm-hmm. That was his fiance, and they were a very beautiful couple, to be honest. Like, I saw pictures, and I was like, man, like, they definitely should have had a life together. Um, and she had nothing but great things to say about him. He, uh... Possibly or allegedly could have been doing something wrong. I can't say, you know, for a fact exactly what that was because as far as what the alleged crime was, I've heard everything from forged $20 bill to a forged check. Yeah. Which, you know, who knows? Uh, What I do know is that I had seen a lot of the video surveillance also. Saw the video surveillance from the moment they got him out of the car to the moment that they walked him across the street away from his car and he had passengers in his car, walked them away from him to the other side of the street where they were able to kind of block the other police car from viewing what was going on over there. Um, and I have to say, like, again, throughout that entire time, I saw no resistance of arrest, saw no weapon, saw no nothing. So why do I bring all this up? This man went ahead and moved his life from Houston, Texas to go ahead and fall in love, to live with his wonderful wife, and she happens to be white, out in Minneapolis, and she felt like it was a safe place for him. He felt like it was a safe place for him. He encouraged even a whole bunch of other friends to try to move out there to go ahead and just start their lives and just have a better life than what they were used to out in Houston, Texas. He seemed to be a nice enough man. And he definitely didn't deserve this. Whether he committed a crime or not, he didn't deserve this. If he did commit a crime, he should have been going to jail and then have his day in court and go through the legal process. Um, These officers who did nothing, I I feel like probably should be fired. Yes, deserve to be fired. And the one that was specifically on that man's neck for that allotted amount of time definitely should be in jail awaiting his day in court not out on the streets again you already have the two dynamics the one man who is being labeled the criminal who is now dead and didn't get to see his day in court and the other man who is not being labeled a criminal who killed the other man not even seeing the jail cell right now those two crimes don't add up those two situations don't add up And it makes for not a good look. So. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm I'm still here. (laughs) It's it's uh, a lot to take in, man. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. So my advice is this. I mean, okay, hold on. Let me add one other thing. While George Floyd was there pleading and saying that he couldn't breathe, he even added a please, sir, I cannot breathe. Like, right there, even then, he's not being resistant. He's not being unruly. He's not being uh, aggressive. And so I got to I gotta believe one of two things. Either we're the dangerous monsters they all believe us to be, 
or we're just gentle giants who just would like to live our lives just like everyone else. But this whole thing of treating us like we're the invisible man, like we're both here, but we're not here. We're both citizens, but we're not citizens. We're both people, but we're subhuman. This needs to go immediately. Mm-hmm. Because we see this again time and time again, but even the amount of times that I've seen it time and time again from the moment that I first saw it when uh, Rodney King happened, yeah. I've never seen anything like after Rodney King. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, everything looked so big being in LA. The whole city just seemed like it was the whole country. Yeah. It was beautiful. I used to go out to the beach with my family and, uh, you know, kick it on the beach and, like, roast hot dogs and marshmallows out on the beach. And that's turned into, you know, now, like, gentrified neighborhoods and things like that to, you know, police still doing the same things they've been doing over and over again. But in that particular instance, when I was a kid, I thought my city was beautiful. And when it was on fire, I still thought it was beautiful. I just didn't understand why it had to be on fire. Because mm-hmm. it didn't. If Rodney King committed such a horrible and heinous crime to where he needed to be in jail or needed to go to court, then do that. But there's no need to beat him senseless. In this particular situation in Minneapolis, if that man really did something so heinous or so terrible or broke the law, he needed to go through the criminal justice system not have his neck stamped on which again i cannot stress it from being the parallels as to why every single black person in this country almost talks up you got colin kaepernick kneeling on no one's neck and that was the biggest deal in the world to mm-hmm. everyone but then you got this man literally kneeling on someone's neck killing that man and he's not even in a jail cell right now I wonder how would this country feel if, and I and I think it wouldn't honestly change, but how would they feel if, if Mr. Floyd was a veteran? But I don't think the sentiment would change. I don't think the sentiment would change whatsoever. Actually, no, it wouldn't change. It wouldn't matter. Because mm-hmm. they'll still like I saw a post. I mean, again, like he look. I see why they were intimidated by him. Obviously, Mr. Floyd had some arms on him. Like he he was a pretty big dude. But he didn't show any aggression whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Not to them. He wasn't disrespectful whatsoever. Even with the man on his neck. And he was saying, please, sir, I can't breathe. No disrespect. Even with a man on his neck. See, and, and the thing that if you're listening to this podcast and, and you don't know what this other world is like, um, being a black man, being a man of color, being a person of color, anytime you're out and about, and any kind of anything pops off, sirens or anything with police, you you fear for your life. It's 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 not even it's not even a question. Like you you can comply as much as you want. Um, my god brother one time got pulled over and they took him out the car. They took glasses off his glasses off of him. Like took him to lock up and everything. Like for no reason. Um, even when they had him in the holding cell, they like gave him some food, but he told them he was allergic to 
uh, citrus. They bring him an orange still. And it's just like, you never know. And you can do all the best that you can do in life as, as a person of color in this country. You can go to school. You can not have a criminal record. You can do all this stuff. Never had any altercations with the police. And it just takes one incident for it to be over. And it doesn't even have to be the police. I mean, it could be like I'm uh I can get get his first name, Ahmad Aubrey, and you could just be out in your neighborhood jogging, but you 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 never know. It 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 doesn't matter. I mean, I used to joke around in my head that I would once I got like my masters and stuff, I would get my masters copied, and then get it shrunk size to the size of like my ID and have it next to my uh, driver's license. So in case I did get pulled over, maybe if I showed them my degree, that that would help in some way, shape, or form. But I know it won't because I've been pulled over before. And the first question I get asked, do you have warrants before anything else? No, no other questions or anything. And then the false BS of, oh, your taillight is out. And I go and check my taillight and my taillight's not out. So to know that any any chance, any opportunity could be my last when I walk out and I, I fear for my nieces and nephews that I have and anybody who's raising a, a little black or a little Mexican kid in this country. And you have to tell them this early, like in single digits of their youth, like you, you, you have to. And, and that's a crazy reality. But if you go on the other end, you don't even have to have that conversation. You walk into this world and say, you're superheroes, you're, you're Congress. You're the CEO of companies. You're, you're fine. And so if you don't understand that and you can't get that after listening to this and talking to people and everything, then I I can't help you. I, I don't know what to say to you. I can't help you. But for those of you who are listening and you struggle with this just like I do, just like Ronnie do, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm wishing the best for you. I wish there was a game plan to avoid it, but there's not. There's literally no game plan to avoid this. Like, no no game plan at all. Like, you can't say, oh, well, if you be compliant, like, if you don't say anything, if you say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, there's, there's no game plan. Because when you have ignorant hate in your heart, you don't care. And you easily see anybody with melanin as a threat. And yeah, that's all I can say. Um, do your yeah. best, be your best. Um, and hell, I mean, the best sometimes ain't even the best. So yeah, you know, man. I have to agree with you. It's a tough situation. Like, what are you as a person of color really gonna like supposed to do? Because you can be polite, you can speak the king's English as perfect as you want, you can show your degree, whatever. But you got that melanin in your skin. You're a threat. I mean, I go the back moment to moment that you were born. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I it's 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 a very sick mentality, and it's not ours. It's not our mentality. Yeah, it's and we can we can't fix it. We to. and no, we can't. We can't fix it because we try to do There's everything. Nothing we can do to fix it. And again, it gets to that point of well, why can't they bring themselves up? Well, why can't you guys get mental help for whatever irrelevant fear that's plaguing you? Exactly. Get that irrelevant white fear out of you because it is not at all healthy for me or for my people or for my community 
or for my 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 state of living or state of being. Honestly, that's that's one of the worst, in my opinion, detriments to the black community is irrelevant white fear. Not cigarettes, not HIV. It's terrible, mm-hmm. and it needs to go. Because again, this is happening again and again and again. And the reason why I keep like bringing up the fact that this keeps happening again and again and again is because it's going to pop like in LA eventually back in 92. Oh yeah, I mean they were right they were they were in the streets in Minnesota yesterday. Yeah, and that, like, I know they were in the streets. I know they were writing I, they were breaking windows. I'm saying that's kid stuff. No, I no I know. No, no and I'm definitely and, kid and, stuff. But no, we've seen this before cuz remember Baltimore a yeah, few exactly. years ago. So it's it's the under, the underbelly is coming. Yes, it's not LA status, but the underbelly is coming. Yeah. And the thing is it's all valid. This country isn't going to see it as valid. They're not but going it's to. all valid. And for somebody who's listening to this, because I know somebody's going to listen to this and be like, oh, but what about black on black crime? That doesn't matter in this instant, because when people live in proximity to each other, those are the people who kill each other. We never hear about white on white crime. We never hear about Asian on Asian crime. We never hear about Pacific Islander on Pacific Islander crime, but it's always black on black crime. White on white crime happens, but that's not the news will never say white on white crime but it is a black on black crime in, in a heartbeat and it will go find somebody shoplifting when they were eight and they're 45 and they had an instance with the police so don't bring the black on black crime argument here because it's nonsense that's you going into your ignorance like ronnie said dig deeper dig deeper into yourself find your pain in somebody else's pain that's how you're going to connect. When you struggle, somebody's struggling just like you in some different manner. Your struggle doesn't have to be exactly parallel, but a struggle is a struggle. Now, if you're talking about struggling like, oh, I can't buy my seventh car, that's not the struggle of the person who can't buy a car. That's, that's not the same struggle. So whatever you got to do you got to do it on that other two americas that white america this is on you we can't do anything because we're out here already trying to just be and exist and thrive and live and we still get put down and shot i mean i think of the guy who was the social worker for the autistic kid who was laying on his back with his hands in the air on the ground and still get shot so i mean come on And uh, you know what, just to add to that, all you All Lives Matter people don't ever speak up right now. Our blue lives. I don't want to hear blue lives because they take that uniform off. Don't want to hear that either because obviously when it comes to Blue Lives Matter, Blue Lives went ahead and cast those cops out because they were wrong. But you're not Blue Lives 24-7. You're not. You're human beings 24-7. Not blue. And so I don't want to hear all lives matter right now, unless you're screaming to the top of your lungs, black lives matter right now, because honestly, like you were, you've been told time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And yes, I can go time, 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 time more. I can say that a lot more, but honestly, like even in Minneapolis, I saw a lot of the news stories, the local news stories, and people are not happy about it. They're not at all happy. And it's not just people of color either. That's what I mean, and the same was down in um, 
went to Georgia, right? With uh with Aubrey. I made Aubrey, so but I I gotta see because the thing is the change has to come from the white citizens and then go up into senators and, and congressmen and all that stuff. Um, but honestly, probably not my lifetime, honestly. You know, and again, that's one way to change things, but the other way that it's going to probably get done faster is if it explodes. Yeah, no. Which again, like people obviously are not against doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I, I hate to say it because me personally, I wouldn't ever want that again. I've yeah. seen it. Mm-hmm. I've lived through it. That's what got us out of there. We were like, nope, no more. And then we left. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this right now. If you can't feel the pain of what is going and has been going on in the black culture, don't listen to hip hop. Don't listen to hip hop. Don't, don't listen to rap. Don't, don't listen to anything black. Mm-hmm. Don't watch Black Panther. Don't. Don't do any of that stuff. Nope. It's not for you. Don't don't enjoy our beauty if you can't if you can't stand our pain. And most of our pain is in the beauty of what we produce. And boy, is it beautiful. Don't watch a Tyler Perry. Don't watch. Don't watch any sports. Don't don't do nothing. So with that, this has been a Dig on Doug podcast. Peace out. This has been another episode of Dig Undug. I really hope you got something out of this. And if you did, go ahead and make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a comment below. I want to hear from you. Also, you can reach me on Instagram at digundug or email me at digundug at gmail.com. Share this with your family, friends, co-workers, and your squad. I look forward to your comments. And with that, keep digging, y'all. Peace out.